Good evening and welcome to another episode of Bakken Bios. I'm your host, Jason Spies. On tonight's episode, we feature Tony Clark. Commissioner Tony Clark is serving his first term on the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, having been nominated by President Obama and sworn in on June 15, 2012. Clark, a Republican, is serving out a five-year term that will expire June 30, 2016. Commissioner Clark formerly served as a member of the North Dakota Public Service Commission, most recently as chairman of the commission. The PSC is a statewide elected office, and Commissioner Clark was first elected to the Public Service Commission in the year 2000. Prior to his election to the PCS, Commissioner Clark was North Dakota's Labor Commissioner, serving in the cabinet of former Governor Ed Schaefer. He is a former state legislator, representing Fargo in the State House of Representatives from 1994 to 1997. Commissioner Clark is a graduate, with honors, from North Dakota State University and holds an MPA from the University of North Dakota. Clark is also a native of North Dakota, graduating from Fargo North. In just a moment, we'll talk with Commissioner Tony Clark. But first, this interview is sponsored by The Crude Life. When you want to make money the crude way, contact The Crude Life. If you have a project that requires a crude approach, then contact The Crude Life. For more information, visit their website at www.thecrudelife.com. That's www.thecrudelife.com. And now back to our latest Bach and Bio interview. Tonight's guest, Commissioner Tony Clark. Tony Clark? Tony, former North Dakota Public Service Commissioner, what are you doing nowadays? I am at the FERC, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, one of the five commissioners uh, in the agency. It's based out of Washington, D.C., but uh, good to be able to, to get back home to North Dakota for the Energy Conference. How often do you stay in touch with uh, some of your, I don't even know if they would be called colleagues, uh, Brian Call, Commissioner Krishman. Uh, sure. Krishman, they're new. They weren't there when you were there. Yeah, but, Commissioner uh, Fedorchek. And Fedorchek, thank you. Right, yeah. It's You know, I keep in fairly close contact. I suppose mm-hmm. every few months we'll... Uh, Either I'll, uh, I'll give a call and just see how things are going, or there are a number of different you know, venues, events, things like that, where both uh, federal and state regulators will talk to each other. And, uh, and so from time to time, I'll, I'll see them at that. So it's, it's, you know, in the Internet age, it's pretty easy to keep track of what's going on in your mm-hmm. home state. So I, I still keep pretty close tabs on, on North Dakota and the, and the commission just out of interest, if nothing else. Uh, Senator Hovind's state's first bill, are you familiar with it? Uh, states' rights bill. somewhat, yeah. I mean, we FERC is is fairly free of the kind of day-to-day legislative, sure. you know, politics that that go on in Washington, and, and is an independent regulatory agency. So I'm not always. You are independent. We are. It's okay. uh, it's a uh, it's an interesting setup, and one that's actually works pretty well for Washington D.C. To be honest, it it's a uh, the way FERC is set up. There's about 1,500 people in the agency. There are five commissioners. And the, of the five commissioners, uh, no more than three can be from any one political party. So by nature, whoever is in the White House typically has three seats, and whoever's not uh, will have two seats. And it forces the agency to operate in a, in a, I guess, bipartisan, but I'd say really a nonpartisan manner, which has been uh, good. It's a, it deals with a very important topic matter, which is energy, which I, we, I th- think we would hope all we would hope is not politicized. And, uh, and what it really does is it, it forces each of the commissioners to, to look at things really in a, in a pretty nonpartisan way. And, mm-hmm. and as a group, we operate fairly well together. Um, it's, uh, 
it's an agency I'd like to say it's a it's a fairly functional agency in what is somewhat a fairly dysfunctional town from time to time um, the um, state's rights bill is more about letting states regulate themselves mm -hmm. do you, you get into that much that I'm speaking from an ideology standpoint right. not necessarily Senator Hovind not necessarily his bill yeah but just when it comes to that federal versus states rights you being a federal regulatory commissioner yeah um, just your thoughts on that sure I mean one of the great training grounds that I had was being able to serve on a state commission for 12 years and then serve as president of the national association that represents all the state utility commissions across the country what it did is it gave me an appreciation for the important role that states can play and also something that I hope I'm bringing to the table at at the federal level which is that uh, this is a shared responsibility um, this isn't all one way or another. FERC is a creature of the Federal Power Act and of other acts that have been passed by Congress, and there are clearly certain areas that have been walled off and where Congress has said this is a federal responsibility, and so it's FERC's responsibility to take care of it. At the same time, uh, there are lots of things that are reserved to the states, and FERC needs to be cognizant of those things as well and understand that it's important that we have a respect for regional diversity and have respect for the important role that, that states play because it's a, it is an opportunity to have a shared jurisdiction. It's not all one way or, or another. Um, <clears throat> a little over a year ago, you appeared on my daily show, and you called natural gas the real wild card out in the Bakken. Mm -hmm. uh, do you still believe that? Well, natural gas is really the, um, I guess I'd, I'd term it today probably, the, the game changer in terms of its impact on the electric industry. You've seen, uh, of course, oil development, liquid development is really driving the Bakken and the associated gas comes along with it. And it's, it's a resource that's important for our country and, and can be utilized here in North Dakota uh, for a lot of uh, advantageous reasons. But when it comes to what's directly impacting the electricity industry, the natural gas industry and the electric industry are converging together because more and more across the country, especially in certain regions of the country, electric utilities are turning to natural gas as opposed to coal or whatever they were using in the past. And so it's linking those two markets in a way that they were not previously so tightly linked and it's having a dramatic impact on both business models. Do you think, uh, <clears throat> do you see natural gas uh, moving towards a global price like gold, silver, oil? Well, the U.S. is in the midst of discussions about whether we should be exporting more LNG. Most economic literature, and this is, DOE makes these determinations, not, not FERC. FERC does cite the, the actual LNG terminals themselves from a safety and an environmental standpoint. And this but, is purely a speculation question. Right. So most of the economic models that DOE has done have supported the idea that it's in the nation's interest to export more natural gas. Mm -hmm. uh, you get more job development here at home. From a balance of trade standpoint, it dramatically helps your nation's balance of trade uh, sheet. So there are lots of good things that go along with it. Um, the concern that some have raised, especially in the, the manufacturing side, the chemical side, is, hey, if we can trap this gas here, then we'll have really cheap gas for an input to other manufactured products. Um, personally, I think that that's a little bit problematic to, to go down that, that path. Um, it, uh, as a nation, we've traditionally been very supportive of more free trade and expanded trade across the, the world. We may move closer towards world prices for natural gas 
but it's still going to remain a competitive advantage for the United States because the the cost of transporting it and the cost of liquefying the natural gas are very expensive mm -hmm. and you should have some pretty significant competitive advantages as opposed to other worldwide markets that, that would have to pay those transportation costs to get the, the gas there. Uh, the petrochemical industry is on record for, I think it was $30 billion in capital investment into that natural gas capturing to try to export it, but also keep it in, internally here for uh, uh, natural gas transportation. Mm -hmm. um, wh where are you seeing natural gas transportation heading? Well, I think there's some great opportunities in natural gas transportation. It's There's a wide split now between the gas markets and the oil markets. Before, they were at least somewhat tracked together, but now it's completely diverged. We have very affordable gas, fairly expensive oil. There's a great opportunity for natural gas vehicles, either CNG or LNG vehicles, to come in and take a portion of that. The challenge, which isn't a regulatory challenge, it's a market challenge, it's going to require some smart businessmen and, and private sector capital to figure it out, is how do you build the, the fueling station infrastructure out mm -hmm. so that people can feel comfortable using those types of vehicles and knowing that they're going to be able to fill up when they need to fill up. It's an easier solution on the fleet side where you have large fleet vehicles because if you're operating a large enough fleet, you can probably install the terminals yourself. It's a little trickier on the, the retail consumer side. You either need to account for it by having home fueling stations or some other fueling station out there so when people are on trips, they can, they can fill up as well. But that's a private sector. That's that's uh, I don't. Government's not going to figure that out. At least right. regulators won't. Yeah. Uh, the trucking industry is a little more controlled than the right. private uh, than just people. Just yeah. people in general. Well, and that's the, I mean that's the same challenge with electric vehicles though. I mean electric vehicles. Lots of people see benefit in those. But again, if you're going to be out on a cross country trip, you need to know where you can recharge that, and most people aren't in a financial spot where they're going to buy an electric vehicle for just around town. That's fairly expensive, and then they're going to buy a second vehicle just to, you know, go out in for their for their touring when they go outside of town. You, if you're going to get one vehicle, you're going to get one that, that can do it both, and that's been the, the challenge for a lot of EVs for a lot of applications. You mentioned coal. Um, coal powers quite a few homes across the country. Still, yep, and uh, for more. And uh, North Dakota, I think, I any given time, 75 percent of the power comes from coal on Probably, any, yeah. any given day on any given time you know it's it fluctuates of course with season uh coal's got um quite a pr battle do you follow that pr battle that coal's got going because oh yeah or, i mean coal has challenges on a number of fronts the the biggest one being the environmental regulations that are coming down the line of them the the what would appear to be the rules that epa is is moving forward with would make it almost impossible for any conventional coal plant to compete. Now, the, these are the ones that, uh, the one that was introduced about three weeks ago are for existing, no, for new, and the ones next year are for existing. These are the ones we're talking I about? I believe that's correct. Okay. Right. And so you've got, on one hand, very tough pressures coming from environmental regulators clamping down on coal, making it effectively very difficult to foresee how any new coal plant could be built at this time and even making it very challenging for existing plants that are there. And then you have, at the same time, market pressures, which are natural gas is so cheap right now that coal has a tough time competing against natural gas. I think most coal folks that I talk to would say, hey, you know what, if, if 
there's some other product out there that's just beating us in the marketplace, and we can't compete based on market fundamentals. That's one thing. But when it's this double whammy of both, we're getting hit from the market, and now the federal government is coming in and making it almost de facto impossible for us to, to operate our plants. Um, I think that's where they feel like they're just getting beaten up from from both sides. It's making it very difficult on the on the coal industry, no doubt about it. Is it? Um, are we getting into a new level of regulation? And I mean, I'm I'm, I'm going to be very blunt, and I usually don't do this during the interviews, but because um, I try to be as neutral as possible. But it to me, it's getting borderline bully type behavior, and I, I I liken it to the smoking ban, to where you know coal burns BTUs greater than anyone in any other form of energy. But you take a look at North Dakota and go to many of the counties that are uh, in coal-producing counties or adjacent, and they consistently have the cleanest air quality. Now, I, I understand there are some studies from Minnesota that have come into play here, but we're talking about a second and possibly even third generation of coal people here. So we've got ample ample environmental data and I just don't see that science there. I see a lot of half-truths and a lot of finger-pointing on both ends mm -hmm. but to the Coles defense a lot of their half-truths because their back is up against the wall because they got picked on initially. Um, did you understand what I mean where it's yeah. almost gotten to the, that bully category? The, the, the saying at FERC is is that we are we're generation fuel neutral. In other words, FERC is a regulator. Unlike states that actually can pick and choose generation resources, FERC, FERC doesn't favor any one particular resource under the sure. statutes that we operate under. We, uh, our goal is to set up marketplace where all sorts of, of products can compete and whoever wins, wins. So this is really a question beyond FERC authority. It's, it's more a question of what's happening generally speaking, in, in public policy. And, and there's no doubt, and I don't make this as any sort of political statement at all, because you'll hear uh, both Democrats and Republicans talking about this. Um, I mean, there is a segment of government and public interest groups who very much would like to see an end of fossil fuel-based hydrocarbon um, fuels for transportation, for electric generation, for um, pretty much any energy usage. and they've had some success and they'll you know use whatever mechanism that they can within their reach to uh, to try to impact that use of of uh, fossil fuel whether it be um, mechanisms that simply regulate it out of existence or attempting to influence the market by driving up the cost of those sources of energy relative to whatever might come next. Thank you Tony. You bet. For more information on Commissioner Tony Clark or to listen to the full-length interview visit our website at www.buildingthebakken.com. And that Bakken Bio interview was sponsored by The Crude Life. When you want to make money the crude way, contact The Crude Life. Visit their website at www.thecrudelife.com. That's www.thecrudelife.com. And that concludes this episode of Bakken Bios. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Jason Spies. Jason Spies.